What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amatel Like a TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Did an episode for you out for you guys this past weekend. My apologies for that. So I'll make up to it by giving you a midweek episode of your favorite little sports talk podcast. Got a lot to talk about with you uh, this time around. The Nationals are your 2019 National League champions and are headed to the 2019 World Series, sweeping the St. Louis Cardinals in four games. They won last night by the final score of 7-4. I touch on them opening monologue, take a break, touch on the Dodgers choking in the NLDS to these Nationals. I'll touch on them choking in what has been a complete disaster for that franchise with the past, uh, whatever it might be, couple of years of of uh, postseason ineptitude. I'll touch on the first three games of the American League Championship Series as the Astros are up two games to one against those hated New York Yankees. I'll get to that a little bit later on in the program. I'll also talk about the Browns and the Cowboys both completely embarrassed themselves once again in front of America. You know, Baker Mayfield, who thinks he's Otto Graham and, and he's got the nerve to complain about ref ball and turnover and ref ball and uh Poor officiating, and the officiating is poor. I'll get to that with the Lions and Packers game a little bit later on in the program. I'll save week six recap for the end. But I don't want to hear Baker Mayfield moan and groan about officiating when he's when he has combined for seven turnovers and only thrown one touchdown pass in the last two games. I mean, I, I don't want to hear it. But And i also get on the Cowboys, who have lost three straight and completely getting uh, punched in the face by the New York Jets of all teams uh, this past Sunday. But first order business, of course, like I previously mentioned, is that the Washington Nationals, the 2019 Washington Nationals, are going to be playing for the 2019 MLB Championship, uh, whether it's against the Houston Nationals and New York Yankees, that is yet to be determined. But they have punched their ticket to the 2019 World Series for the first time in that franchise's history, whether you want to go back to their days in Montreal or separate them as a separate franchise from 2005. First time that the Nationals slash the Expos have been in a World Series in their franchise's history. And the first time that the World Series will be played in the nation's capital, you have to go back all the way to the 1930s to go back when the last time a Nat, uh, Washington, D.C. MLB team participated in the game's uh, championship series, World Championship Series. But, listen, first off, congratulations to the Washington Nationals and their fan base and their franchise and the owners and everybody of, those na- of that nature. They... I mean, what I mean, what do you want me to say? They at this. I mean, if there is a slogan that fits a team to a T more than stay in the fight, I don't know what does, because this is a team that, whatever the case, whatever the case, whatever the circumstances, whatever whatever it might have been, they continued to stay in the fight, whether it be down three one. At home in a wild card game a few weeks ago against the Brewers, being down three one in the ball game, having a three run eighth inning to win to take the lead and win the game and knock out the uh, the Milwaukee Brewers who made it to all the way to Game Seven of last year's NLCS, or whether it be in the divisional series and 
and coming and coming back against the and coming back against the Dodgers after uh, after after uh, being down two games to one in the series, coming all the way coming all the way back to to essentially win to uh, win two in a row to win the NLDS and, t- and take care of business against the back-to-back uh, National League champions. Uh, and I'll get to the Dodgers choke in a minute, but even still, I mean, coming back, coming back d- down two games to one to take the series from the Dodgers and win and, and win and, and win in a clutch pivotal elimination game, game five, which, if you have any idea, and if you follow baseball, if you follow or are a fan of the Washington Washington Nationals, their postseason demons lie in that Game Five of the NLDS for you. Two thousand. I mean, let me. Do I have to go through the years? Two thousand twelve, two thousand twelve against the uh, against the, the matter of fact against these Cardinals when he had a huge lead heading into the ninth inning. Their their bullpen Drew Storm <clears throat> uh, blew the lead and absolutely vomited all over themselves. They lost Game Five at home to the Cardinals. Two thousand four two thousand fourteen they couldn't they couldn't figure out the San Francisco Giants. Two thousand sixteen they couldn't the the Cubs came in and uh, and took care of business against them. And in two thousand and then in two thousand and seventeen they and in two thousand seventeen they took they couldn't take care of the Cubs either. Whether I mean in 2017, whether it be the whether it be uh, Max Scherzer throwing himself off the mound, the outfit it's ironic. I mean the same. I mean it's almost as if like the same things that would that would haunt the Nationals and and would and kept them from going over the top. It's almost as if like the same things that the Nationals would felt would fall victim to in their previous postseason failures. All of a sudden things started going. All of a sudden things started going the right way for them. I mean, I mean, it's just crazy. All, all. I mean, I mean, think. I mean, or excuse me, that sixteen was the Dodgers. Excuse me, but it. But even still, going back to my point, I mean, if you watch the ball game last night, I mean, they was just they, they kept racking up runs. I mean, I'm sitting up here watching this game. I said, "Gee, where's when? When? When is the Nationals gonna stop?" I mean, it was run after run after run after run. I mean, I mean, I mean it, it was like a, a revolving door, a merry-go-round. Everybody kept scoring. Trey, I mean, Trey Turner started off with a single, and it was like everybody else followed. And then, and then you and then you also got to keep. And then, for instance, in uh, in uh, it was either game three, or game four, in two thousand seventeen against the Cubs, a ball was popped up in the air, and they had and the and the Nationals had the shortstop, second baseman, center fielder, or left fielder, whatever the case might have been, all in the outfield, and it was and all they had to do was call the ball off. Somebody called the ball off, they would have caught it, and the ball drops, and then the Cubs had a big inning in that game. Well, deja vu because. This time the Nationals on the opposite end of it. Ball gets hit up. Ball gets hit up in the air, and the second baseman the second baseman Wong, the first baseman Paul Goldschmidt, and the right and the right fielder, uh, what's his name, Jose Martinez. You know they're all standing in the Bermuda Triangle looking for somebody to call the ball. And and it's funny. I'm sitting there watching the game. I said, I and I knew what was about to happen. I said, oh, this ball and the ball's still in the air. As I'm saying this, I'm like, oh, this ball's gonna fall. And and lo and behold, the ball falls in between of them, and the Nationals score another run. So it's like, oh my! God. I mean, all of the things that would that would 
that the Nationals would fall victim to all the little quirky bad luck things, whether it be poor pitching and and teams having that merry-go-round of a big inning where, you know, station to station, you know, runners just not getting off the base, you know, like that bug like that Bugs Bunny meme. You see you see that, you know, the the uh those big those big uh, muscular hunky guys that hitting the ball, they're scoring runs around to the point where you like you see the meme. I'm pretty sure lots of you all who are like baseball fans, you've seen the meme of the conga line going around bases. I mean that's I mean that that's been like the Nationals history in the postseason in these big time postseason games that they have uh, that they have fallen a victim to time and time and time again. But th- but this year it was the Nationals time. And you know, congratulations to them. All of the things that they would fall victim to in the, in years past their postseason failure, all of a sudden things would start going their way. You know, you, I mean, if Nationals, it was a custom for them to let the little bloop singles fall like that. Or even if that were happened to them, someone would come out of like left field and sprint right in and catch the ball. You know, but little quirky things like that. You know, they went the Nationals' way, and. Uh, and honestly, I mean, it was, it was about time. All of the years of the postseason failure, to the, like I said, 2012, 14 through 17, all in the NLDS, and then and not making the playoffs last year, ha- having an epic collapse in the month of July and the early part of August, all capped off by that David Bodie grand grand slam that kind of was a kiss of death for the 2018 Nationals, but. If there is, I have, you know, this has been quite a while. Well, I have not seen, this has been a quite a while since I've seen this in baseball. But, it's, but there is no team more deserving to go to the World Series than, the, than these bunch. And and how ironic is it, the fact that they, the fact that they had to beat two of the, two out of the three opponents they had to beat that participated in last year's NLCS. They had to defeat the... 100, they had to defeat over the, let me get the, uh, make sure I'm accurate here. They had to defeat the 106-win Dodgers, who are trying to make it three straight National League championships and make it back to the World Series for a third straight time, which is something that hasn't been done in the National League. You have to go back 70-plus years to the last time that's ever happened. And they gotta, and they go through Kershaw, and they gotta go through that young talent that the Dodgers have, and and uh, they didn't win their division. So they, so on top of them having the fact that on top of the, all of that, they also had to play an extra game because they had to play the wild card game just to advance to the NLDS, where they've where they've excuse me where they've had their past demons at. So I mean, what a really a really outstanding, stupendous performance by the Washington Nationals. Their bullpen has held up most of the postseason. Uh, Sean Doolittle has Sean Doolittle has been fantastic in in has been fantastic this postseason. He right now he's pitching six games in the postseason, seven seven and third innings, worked six strikeouts with an ERA of two point five. He's done a he's done a great job for him. I mean th- this starting rotation. I mean Scherzer. The only foul up that Scherzer has really had in the postseason was the wild card game against uh, against Milwaukee. 
where he was giving up home runs left and right all over the place. But it's but from the Dodgers series on, he he has been completely under control and has been worth over two hundred million dollars to the Nationals of paying him. Steven Stra- Steven Strasburg is showing the Nationals why it was a big mistake that they shut him down seven years ago in two thousand and twelve because he has because ever ever because in this series he's been completely lights out and on fire uh, for him this postseason. He he got the win in Game Three, seven innings of work, seven hits, one run, twelve strikeouts against the Cardinals in Game in uh in Game Three. Strasburg this postseason he's pitching four games with three and zero with a one point six four ERA and thirty three strikeouts and twenty two innings of work. I mean, and in the postseason in general, his career he's been great. Seven games pitched, four and two with a one point one ten ERA. So I mean, starting pitching, the bullpen, guys getting hits. Turner, Rendon, Soto, Howie Kendrick won the MVP, thirty six years old with the clutch hits. I mean, Ryan Zimmerman, the longest ten, the original National, their first uh, pick as the their first uh, draft pick as the as in franchise history, who's been there forever through thick and thin through it all. He, I mean, what a performance and job out of him. I mean, the whole team has just done a phenomenal job from the mat from the manager on down. The manager making keep it make it, keep it like they like their motto is stay in the fight, not give up on each other, not give up on themselves, and just what and and they were under five hundred, and looked like that this season was in for. They were they were in for it looked like. Then look like in the middle of May they were in for a losing long and pathetic season, really because because of the fact that in a way they kind of missed Bryce Harper in the lineup, but all of a sudden that, that they just flipped the switch and turned it on just like that, and and who would have thought that a team that lost their best player in free agency to a division rival no less, lost their best player to free agency. To a division rival, who'd have thought that the next year later they'd be playing in the World Series? Because I, because I sure as hell did not expect them to do that. I didn't. I didn't, under any circumstances that I have the Washington Nationals go uh, in the in in the World Series going as far as they did. Not a chance that I think the Nat. Here's here's why I had the Nationals going this year. Well, I had I had the Nationals being quite competitive. I had them ninety one and seventy one, but I didn't have them make. I I didn't have them making the postseason. I had the Cubs and I had the Rockies as the two wild card teams, with the Braves winning the division. Now, now, you know, I expected the Nationals to be good. Of course, I mean, st- starting pitching is going to you know always going to keep you competitive, and they got nicer. And I knew that Soto was going to be a nice young player that was going to enter. That was going to be a big bat in that lineup. That was going to do a damn good job of trying to replace Bryce Harper in the outfield and in that lineup. I mean, so they won ninety three games this year compared to me picking them to win ninety one. So I pick I picked the Nationals to be competitive this year as they were. But I didn't expect that. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs, and I sure as and if I didn't make the playoffs, I sure as hell didn't expect them to make it all the way to the World Series, which is something that they did, and that's something that we should commend them on, because who would have losing their best player, Bryce Harper, who's who won two MVPs, I believe two MVPs as a member of that franchise, who was the poster boy of their big rebuild standpoint. 
who was the who was the poster boy of the team playing competitive October baseball. They lose him the free agency to the Philadelphia Phillies, and they win the National League pennant within a half hour of Bryce Harper's twenty seventh birthday. I mean, think about that for a minute. And I was talking and I was saying this and discussing this with my father, and my father brought up a good point. Maybe Bryce Harper was the thing that was holding this team back. You know? Bryce Harper, you know, he can be a bit of a diva. He can be a little, he can be a bit of a show-off, a little bit of a, uh, he's a guy that can, I can imagine can rub you and rub guys the wrong way. Maybe my, maybe my dad was right. Maybe he was, maybe he was the piece that was holding him back. Which and not too often in sports is the best player on the team, the one that holds the team back from you know from winning the championship or going to the championship game or series. You know, you put Tom, you put Tom Brady on the on the New York Jets, the Patriots are not playing in a Super Bowl. You know, you put LeBron, you put LeBron James on the Golden State Warriors, the Lakers are not going to the NBA Finals. But, I mean, that's what makes baseball so great and special and unique. You know? I mean, anything can happen. And when I mean anything can happen, anything can happen. Meaning that the best player can leave your team, go to a division rival, and somehow, some way, you guys can manage to build a champ, uh, World Series-type uh, team, a World Series uh, participating World Series team, and you not even know it. Because who'd have thought after all the turmoil that this team was in early in the spring that somehow, way they were going to turn it around to the point where we're sitting here in the middle of October talking about the Nationals as being National League champions and participating in the 2019 World Series. A World Series that, regardless who they play, they, they can win. Regardless who they play. Whether it be the Yankees, whether it be the Astros, the I tell you one thing, the Nationals are not going to be an easy out in this World Series. You can write. I don't care. I don't care if they play the two. Th- I don't care what uh, Astros or Yankees team they're playing. I could. I could care. I could care less. This, this is a team that, to be quite honest, this is a team that, to be quite honest with you could surprise a lot of people and end up winning the Fall Classic. I mean, Howie Kendrick, 5 for 15, with 4 doubles and 4 RBIs in the series, 36 years of age. Who saw that coming? Who saw that coming? I mean, what I mean, what 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 a fantastic fantastic Fantastic, fantastic performance by the Nationals. Fantastic. Now, now there are like some things that you that would kind of you know make you scare about the Nationals, where it's like, where uh, you know, where uh, history in the World Series for teams like them nearly doesn't lean their direction because of the fact that you go back to team, you go back to to teams that have swept. 
in the uh, championship series. They go on and they lose in the World Series. Most recent example, 2014 Kansas City Royals. They swept my Baltimore Orioles and ended up losing to the Giants uh, a, week, a week or two later in seven games. So I mean, you ne- so I mean, you never know. But then again, that's why you pl- that's why you play the games. Cause what a fantastic, fantastic, phenomenal performance that the Washington Nationals put on, not just in this postseason against the Dodgers, and not just absolutely shutting down the uh, the uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, who's who after pretty much. Their bats stayed. I mean, think about this for a minute. I I know I've been kind of praising the Nationals a little bit, but how the hell do the St. Louis Cardinals essentially like leave their offense in Atlanta, so to speak? I mean, they score all those runs in the first inning against the uh, against the Milwaukee, uh, not the Milwaukee Braves, the Atlanta Braves. They score all those runs in the first inning. They win the game twelve to twelve to one, whatever the hell the score was. And and a and essentially they they play in the championship series for the first time in about a few, in about a few years and essentially they leave their offense and their bats and and their pitching for that for that matter in 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 Atlanta with the Braves because on their part that is a that is a pathetic embarrassing performance on the part of the St Louis Cardinals didn't show any fight didn't show any grit. Didn't have any competitive moral fiber in the series until about the fourth or fifth inning when they started to to get a rally together in the middle of the ball game. None. But congrats to the Nationals either way. Take a break. I got the Dodgers to break down, and I'm choking, as well as the first two games of the ALCS. I'll touch on that right after this. Welcome back to my Tell Like a T.I.S. podcast. Switching gears now to the team that the Nationals had to beat in order for them to get to the NLCS, in order for them to beat the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm going to get on a team that previously in 2017 and 2019, or excuse me, 2017, 2018, won the National League pennant in back-to-back years. This year, heading into this season... Of course, sky was the limit. It was World Series or bust. And when I mean World Series or bust, I mean win the World Series or your season is a failure. This team won, won their division by 21 games, was 106-56, and ended the regular season on a seven-game winning streak, had a run differential, plus 273, was phenomenal at Dodger Stadium with 59 wins and 22 losses, and was a team that I certainly thought when the plo- when the postseason began was going to was easily going to make was easily going to make it back to the World Series. Their problem lied in whether they were going to f- whether that whether or not they were going to play Houston or the Yankees. Which one would knock each other out, get to the World Series, and give the Dodgers fits? Well, it turns out that not, that the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers can't even make it to the po- can't even make it back to the World Series for them to choke again. Why? Well, because of, of, out of all situations where Dave Roberts chooses to go away from the analytical route, which is something that he went to in two years in a row, 2017-2018, that, well, that, that both bit him in the ass in, uh, in the World Series, whether it, be mis- whether, whether it be mismanaging your bullpen 
uh, in game, mismanaging your bullpen in both of them, relying on Ryan Madsen to get out Steven Pierce against the Red Sox last year, or thinking you Darvis is essentially Oral Hershiser and throwing him out there to the Wolves against the Red Sox last year. But the one and in that situation, he, uh, Dave Roberts shouldn't have relied on his analytics. Should have relied on his gut and his eye and his eyes and his mind and his baseball knowledge to make the, to make the decision that was going to put the that was going to put the Nationals in the best chance to win. Well, it looks like this time. Well, this time, you know, when he relies on his analytics, he shouldn't have. And this and this situation, he should have relied on his analytics, and he didn't. He didn't rely on his analytics, and and it totally came back to and it totally came back to bite him because Dave Roberts put in Clayton Kershaw in Game Five of the NLDS, and if anybody knows anything about baseball, knows anything about the Los Angeles Dodgers, is that Clayton Kershaw cannot pitch and does not perform well under any circumstances in October. But what does Dave Roberts do? Because he loves Clayton Kershaw so much, and because loyalty is one of the worst things to have when you're a a manager in baseball or a coach in any other sport. I mean, I mean, and look, uh, Aaron Boone's learning that right now with his bullpen, and, and people give Bill Belichick grief how he how he cuts how he cuts uh, players left and right and 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 leaves them out to dry with with no with no sen- sen- sentiment or sentimentals behind it or whatever the case might be. Well, you well you see why when you put emotion and you put sen and you, and you put sentimentality whatever the hell the damn word is you know what, you know what I'm trying to say when you put that into and you and you cross business with pleasure and you put that within business especially in the world of sports you get burned and that's what Dave Roberts did he got burned instead of him thinking of he thought about the Clayton Kershaw career stats here's what Dave Roberts thought about 169 and 74 with a 2.44 ERA with 2,464 strikeouts that's Clayton Kershaw's career stats. What he thought about was this year, 16-5 with a 3.03 ERA. That is what Dave Roberts thought about. What he should have thought about was the 32 postseason games that this man has pitched in. He's 9-11 in both of them with an ERA at 4.43. 4.43. One more time. 4.43. That's... That's a point zero one away from doubled what his career ERA is. His career ERA is a two point four four. His career in the postseason is four point four three. He's he's two times as worse in the postseason than he has been in his entire career. He's pitched in 347 games in his in his, in his life in the post in the in, in the uh, in the regular season. He's 2.44 ERA in the in regular season games. In the postseason, he's pitched in 32 postseason games, and his ERA is doubled what it is in his career. But rather than Dave Roberts relying on Kenley Jansen, who granted who has not been great, who granted has not been great this year. Not been great. Not 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 been the Kelly Jansen we've used to see. But he, but still five and you know picks in sixty two games, six three innings of work, three point seven one ERA with eighty strikeouts, and in his career he has a two point three five ERA. And then the postseason he's pitched in forty one postseason games with an ERA at two point two point oh one. So let me get this straight. You the guy who's who's meant for situations like this. 
tight, tight, tight games in a postseason, late in ball games. You 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 rather choose you rather put in a guy who's a starter for one thing, who has the ERA of four point four three, and you pick him over a guy whose whose career ERA in the postseason is a two point oh one. Really? Really? The time that you need to rely on the analytics, you don't. You, the time that you need to rely on the analytics, you don't do it. But the time that you that you could use some common sense, which obviously in this day and age ain't so freaking common anymore, you don't rely. You don't rely on common sense. You rely on the dopey analytics. But the time you should have been relying on the analytics and the stats that was given to you, you didn't do it. What you did, you got emotional. You got in, you got involved in your feelings. You got sentimental. You got nostalgic, and you're putting Clayton Kershaw. Who again, one more time, 4.43 ERA in the postseason. The guy is no Sandy Koufax. He is no Oral Hershiser. Hell, he's no Madison Bob Garner. He stinks in the postseason. He stinks. And what do you do? You put him in there, back-to-back batters on back-to-back Pitches. He gives up not one, but two straight home runs that tie the ball game and essentially put you in a hole in a game five that the Nationals have never, ever, ever in the history of the franchise ever done well in. And you put the Nationals with all the momentum in the world in your ballpark with a tie ball game late in the inning. Why? Because you the because you the the uh the glorious manager Dave Roberts, who a lot of Dodgers fans think he's Leo DeRosa for crying out loud, puts puts in puts in a starting pitcher who granted is an excellent regular season uh starting pitcher. No one's denying that. But still with the four point four three ERA and you have a guy in the bullpen who is made. He makes his money. He pays his mortgage. He pays his phone bill on the fact that he has a 2.0 ERA in October. In October. You've, you've played in two straight World Series because of Kelly Jansen. Granted, he didn't have a great regular season, but still. Kelly Jansen is no slouch. Who's made for situations like this. Clayton Kershaw is a starting pitcher. And you put him in against this Nationals lineup that has been that has been nothing but that has caused nothing but havoc since the postseason started. And you're putting Kershaw and get and and you're shocked and dumbfounded as all can be because he gets up back to back home runs on back to back pitches. Back to back pitches. And then what happens? The Nationals get momentum. They load the bases. Joe Kelly to Howie Kendrick. Grand Slam. Game is over. Series is over. Season's over. And the Nationals, who won 106 games, won their division by 21 games. That's got all the little neat and goofy stats. And they love the wax poetic about Cody Bellinger and, 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 and Kershaw in regular season. And Walker Bueller, who, by the way, pissed a great game. Six and two-thirds. One, one, one run allowed. Four hits and seven strikeouts. And you flush it all down the toilet because Dave Harris wants to get emotion, wants to get nostalgic by putting Clayton Kershaw, who one last time has a 4.43 ERA, yet you have Kelly Jansen, who's a relief 
pitcher who's made in this season, who makes a living pitching one of these situations, who has an ERA half of what Kershaw has, half in the postseason, and you leave him in the bullpen. And the thing that makes it worse is that you bring him in in the ninth inning, and that game's already lost to begin with. You bring him in in the ninth inning, down seven to three. The game is over. What, 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 what is he going to stop now? It's 7-3 in the ninth inning. What the hell are you putting him in the game for? Why didn't you put him in earlier? Why? Why did you put him in the seventh inning, for Christ's sakes? Or the eighth? Why, Dave? Why? Why? Nobody in the bottom line is nobody cares about the Dodgers' 106 wins. Nobody gives a crap. This franchise hasn't has won a World Series since 1988. Prior to this series, the Nationals have never won a postseason series ever in the history of franchise. Ever. Ever. And you have a golden opportunity when the game five at home in your ballpark, 3,000 miles away from D.C., and Dave Roberts practically just wrapped the series right to Nazareth. And says, yeah, you know what? We've played in enough World Series for a change. Here, here Nazareth, you want to you wanna play in the NLCS? You want to win a postseason series? You want to you wanna win an NLDS game five? Here you go, right here. A pathetic performance by Dave Roberts and Clayton Kershaw, too. Pathetic. Embarrassing. That's number one. Number two, NLCS Yankees Astros. Let me let me let me calm myself down a minute. Let me get hold on. Let me get a glass of water. Hold on. All right, there we go. Yan Yankees and Astros, 2019 NLCS. These two teams faced off two years ago. Went seven games. Astros one and seven. Uh, the home the home team in the series in that series two years ago won every, won every game. Two it was two three two. So the Astros won first two games. Yankees won the last three. Houston won the last two. But as had uh, at Yankees won game one seven to nothing. Zach Greinke, who again I wouldn't trust him in the postseason if the fate of the universe depended on it. In the postseason, his career is three and six with a four point five eight ERA. This year in the postseason, after spitting a bit against the Rays, I, I believe what game was that against the Rays? And game four against the Rays, not game. Was it game four? No, that was uh, game three. I'm sorry, game three. He spit the bit. Uh, he couldn't get out the fourth inning against the Rays uh, in game one. He got out the fourth inning, but he didn't go more than six. He went six innings, gave up seven hits, three runs, and two home runs uh, to Glaber Torres and Giancarlo Stanton in the uh, in the ball game. But Granky uh, had his own demons, still has his own demons, which is why if I'm the Astros, you got to stay far away from Granky as possible. Uh, he stinks in the postseason series, but the Yankees took care of business in game one, won seven to nothing. Game two, Astros came back, had fight, and the uh, one, one, and it was a fantastic baseball. It was a fantastic baseball game on Sunday night. 
uh, tied 2-2 heading into the uh, 11th inning. And uh, Carlos Correa off J.A. Happ hit a hit a walk-off home run to, to win the game for the Astros 3-2, tied 1-1. Uh, the comeback game, they come back game three on yesterday, first game in Yankee Stadium, and the and the Garrett Cole, who he as long as Verlander are the two starting pitchers that is going to win this series for the Astros, and and you can see why the Astros traded for Garrett Cole, because in the postseason he's five and three with a two point two six ERA in the postseason in his career. So far in this postseason, he started in three games. He's three and zero. He's been undefeated in all three of them. He has the ERA under under. He's given up his ERA. Think about this for a minute. His ERA is over point five. He averages less than a half a run a game. Zero point four zero, with thirty two strikeouts. So, Astros won winning this series. They gotta rely on Cole and they gotta rely on Verlander because you throw Granky out there. And God forbid you throw Granky out there after Cole or Verlander uh, has a slip-up game, preferably preferably Cole because Cole's been on fire. And and the one dangerous thing you have when you've been when he's been pitching one like that is that it's only a matter of time until he has an outing that isn't not so uh, uh, Sandy Koufax x so to speak. So so it's only a matter of time. Verlander's had his crappy game. That was uh back in that was back in game four on October eighth against the uh against the against the um the Rays where he couldn't get out the fourth inning. But still, I mean you, they're gonna rely on Verlander and Cole a lot, who have pitched well who have pitched pretty decent in the I mean, Cole's been phenomenal in the postseason of his career. Verlander's been kind of average in his career, but he's been but he's been very well the last couple of postseason runs for Houston. So they're gonna have to rely on those two guys to get it done for him. Game four, which is supposed to be today, October the sixteenth on a Wednesday, got postponed because of the rain. It's raining cats and dogs here in Baltimore as right now as I speak. The this weather should should make it up its way to New York and so sort of watch the game out. Game four for tonight. Game four. Uh, game four will be pushed back tomorrow night at eight oh eight. Game five will be pushed back to Friday, so there's no travel day for the rest of this series. They play the Astros and the Yankees go nose to the grindstone, gas on the pedal. They play nonstop from Thursday night to Sunday, not October twenty. If there if there has to be a, a game seven, Astros up to one. Yankees, they, their bats they've they've fallen kind of silent after their seven run performance in game one. They've been outscored by the Astros seven to three in the previous two games. Their bats at some point have to wake up. Stanton missed the last game due to a quad injury. Yankees bats has to have to wake up, or and their bullpen has to step up too, or else they can uh, kiss their 2019 World Series aspirations uh, goodbye. Take a break. I'll get to the NFL in Week Six. Cowboys and Browns. Two teams. I'm more of the more or less the Browns, but two teams. I got I got something to say about, and I'll touch on them. Get to the NFL Week Six right after this. Welcome back to Metallica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the NFL, an item that I failed to get uh, and talk about this past weekend. My apologies for that, which is why I'm giving you a midweek episode, and I'll be back uh, with you this weekend with another episode. Now, I'm going to tell you, tell you this podcast. This time, I don't have to recap week six. I'm doing it now. So, weeks, so uh, this weekend's episode, I'll talk about week seven and recap the Thursday night game between Kansas City 
and uh, Denver. So, switching gears now to two teams. What the? <clears throat> Excuse me. Switching gears now to two teams, uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the Cleveland Browns, both teams that have really hit a complete wall and have hit in a rut as of late, and two teams that if you went by the offseason talk and Skip Bayless and all the Dallas Cowboy and 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 Cleveland Browns fans and bandwagoners and and uh, and uh, you know guys just simply just towards favor towards these two teams, you would have thought that these two teams were were a booked ticket on on Sunday February uh February February the second in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium to play in Super Bowl Fifty Four. Well, I told you that wasn't going to happen, and it won't happen because, for one, the Dallas Cowboys under it can't. I mean, even though Zeke had a good game, the Dallas Cowboys really have just ran themselves into a complete wall. And this time, this and this time, the blame isn't on Zeke. Zeke finally had a good game for once. Twenty-eight carries, one hundred and five yards. And a touchdown run. This game kind of goes on Dak Prescott and the defense. Dak Prescott, who was 28, for 28 out of 40 passing attempts, 277 yards and no touchdown passes. A really mediocre game for a guy who's expecting a big payday in his future. He, as a, as a franchise quarterback and the number one guy on that football team, has to rally his shoe. And that's why, that's why I always repeatedly say that Dak Prescott cannot win football games and it's really not that big of a quarterback. And it's not that much of a big-time quarterback. Because this time, Zeke did his job, and they still lost the ball game. Granted, granted, this, granted, just like last week, they tried to make a little, uh, try to make a little comeback. They finally got a sense of urgency late in the ball game. But still, I mean, Dak Prescott's got to show me a little better than twenty for forty with two hundred and seventy-seven yards and no touchdowns. I mean, I, I know he, I know he rushed, I know he rushed for one. But still, I mean, Dak's got to give me a little bit more than that for a guy who wants a big payday, who thinks he should be paid just as much, if not more, than his offensive compadre and Ezekiel Elliott. You know, like, like I told you guys this past summer, Dak's the the thing that Dak has the advantage of is the fact that he plays the games. The it's just the fact that he plays the game's most important and most valuable position, which is quarterback. But if you take out the, if you take out the if you take out the positions that each player plays and the fact that the quarterback's the most important and the most valuable and you can't win without one and the running back is short stuff if you throw all that crap out the window and you just and you just line them up stat to stat player to player football player to football player Zeke is the is the far more better player than Dak Prescott is and that is fact don't let Skip Bayless tell you anything different. Don't let any cowboy fan or or any uh, cowboy any anybody who who's who thinks Dak Prescott is the second coming of uh, Don Meredith, uh, Roger Staubach, and Troy Aikman combined. Don't let anybody tell you that Dak Prescott is not that big is is not a big time quarterback under any circumstances. The thing that the thing that thing along with the the, the lack of Dak's. Uh, you know, Dak's mediocre performance is what cost the Cowboys. Also, the defense. How in the world does the Dallas Cowboy defense allow Sam Darnold, who hasn't played since week one, go 23 for 32 with 338 passing yards and two touchdowns? 
How in the hell does that? I mean, I mean, what they want to cook you because it didn't let Le'Veon Bell run all over him? I mean, give me a break. Who cares? I mean, you guys, you guys essentially let a guy that hasn't played since week one, since the beginning, of, who has he hasn't played in a month, and you essentially allow him to turn into freaking uh, Chad Pennington or Joe Namath or Brett Favre, whichever former New York Jet quarterback you want to pick, be my guest. But essentially, you will allow him to go off on his first game back at home, no less, against a team that's that's looking to compete to win the NFC East title and to uh and to make a pl- and to make a uh, late uh, and to make a late uh playoff push. Meanwhile, this is the team that's 0-4 backs up against the wall looking at another lost season and you essentially let Sam Darnold renew rejuvenate the franchise and give him and give him a uh, seed of hope. I mean, 23 for 32 with 330 passing yards and two touchdowns. Dallas Cowboy defense, who and uh, who, you know, who a lot of people. I mean, they got a good. Excuse me, they got a good defense. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, still, I mean, this is not the steel curtain or the Great Wall of Dallas. I mean, let's. I mean, they they got to do a little do a little bit better than that. Especially letting Robbie Anderson go off with five sevens, 125 yards, and a touchdown. That is completely unacceptable. And the Dallas Cowboy team that, you know, like the Ravens, took advantage of the fact they had an easy schedule. But, I mean, and and granted, they played the Jets. But, he, I mean, you would you would think that they could at least handle the Jets. But this is a team that's lost now four straight, that's, that's now lost four straight ball games. They, you know, their offense didn't bother to show up against the Saints. The defense did. The defense, the defense forgot to show up in the in the Packer game. The offense that finally decided to show up with like midway through the third quarter, uh, in the fourth quarter in the in the Packer game. Let Aaron Rodgers outplay him on all aspects of the of the uh, of the football game. Same old story. Any single time these two teams get the. the get together and either it was the classic Mike Tomlin playing down your competition or I don't know what it was but a game that, that should have put the Cowboys on or on a back on back on the back on the track and it put them in a in a uh, positive place going forward heading into two straight divisional games at home against the Eagles on Sunday night and then a Monday night game uh, at the Giants, you you would have thought that the you would have thought that the Cowboys could have taken care of business against the Jets, considering that their quarterback hasn't played in a month, and they're all in force, still seeking their first win of the ball of the uh, of the uh, season. But a pathetic job by the Dallas Cowboys, and if they don't get it together, they could be in for a long season. And if I'm Jerry Jones. I'm like, well, I mean, Dak, Dak is staying, but Jason Garrett, you're not. I've gave you plenty of enough chances. You need to be out of here. I'm sorry because this is a guy that's that's been given one too many chances uh, as a as a coach, and is simply just not that great of a head coach. Especially considering, especially considering that the team that he coaches with is considering the team that he that he also coaches, who has a little bit of a higher standard when it comes to successful coaches. For the Dallas Cowboys, whether you whether it be Tom Landry, whether it be Jimmy Johnson, whether you, whether it be Barry Switzer, I know he didn't do a lot with the Cowboys, but even still, they had uh, Bill Parcells as as their head coach at one time back in the two thousands decade, and and they were a pretty decent competitive ball club. But he, but still, Jason Garrett, I'm sorry if this team does not 
this if this team does not snap out of it with the stretch with the they have a three game stretch of prime time games we get nothing but cowboys two sunday night two sunday night games and then a monday night game in between and two out of the three games are against division rivals at home against the eagles at at the giants and then back home against the vikings on uh, no, on november the 10th and they have and they and they have so that's the three stretch of games and they have a bye week in week eight but still Dallas Cowboys have to get themselves together they have to they I mean if if they if they want to save their season they they have to snap out of it quick fast and in a hurry a team that I have a bigger issue with is the Cleveland Browns themselves who have at who I mean, their season is not lost and the season is not over. But what a, I mean, where do I even begin? I mean, Baker Mayfield, could you shut up? Could you quit belly aching and moaning and groaning and complaining about the dopey official? Now, I'm not trying to make these officials out to be, you know, the greatest officials since sliced bread. We know the NFL officiating has problems, and I'll get to that. In a, and I'll get to that later on in the program. But the NFL, you know, they're they're not quote unquote NFL citizens of the year, NFL officials of the year by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't want to hear Baker Mayfield talk when in the past two games you combined for seven interceptions and thrown one touchdown pass, and on the season you have a completion percentage of of fifty six percent. You've you know over a thousand yards. Uh, Passing, which nobody cares about. I mean, hell, Andy Dalton is, I believe, still in the top ten passing yards, and then they haven't won a ball game yet. So, passing, so passing yard stat is overrated. But still, fifty-six completion percentage, five touchdowns, eleven interceptions. That is mind-bogglingly terrible. You are eighteenth in the league and pass. You are eighteenth in the league in in uh, in passing, and you are twenty-fifth. In the league, on uh, in getting first downs, so you punt the ball nonstop. So you punt the ball nonstop, and you turn over the football. I mean, what a! I mean, oh Baker Mayfield, shut up about the officiating, please. For the love of all that is holy, just stop. All right, shut up. No one, no one has, no one feels sorry for you, and no one, and no one wants to hear hear your hear and, and have to tolerate. With with your pity party, all right? Please shut shut up, please sh- sh- just shut up. You were up twenty to eighteen at halftime, and you essentially went and you essentially gave Se- gave Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks and Russ Wilson, who who should and be the number one top candidate for NFL MVP, by the way. But still, you gave Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and the Seahawks. Time to regroup and game plan at halftime and essentially turn it up and turn it on in the second half. Meanwhile, you we meanwhile you and Odell oh no Odell had a big game, so I'll lay off of him. But meanwhile, you and Freddie Kitchens both had both had your thumb up your ass and didn't know what the hell to do in the second half. You completely had Seattle reeling. I mean, you had Seattle was reeling and and they were on the ropes. For the first time, really since the Bengal game, and and you allowed them to completely get themselves back into the ball game. Meanwhile, you didn't know what you. Meanwhile, you didn't know east from west or or north from south. 
I mean, you can't. I don't want to hear you moan and groan and complain about officiating when you, when you were tw- when you threw three interceptions. Three. I don't want to. I don't want to hear. Well, I'm probably going to get fined for this. But they can have my. Phone. I don't. Need, I don't need to have you up, up, and up at the podium after the game, getting cute in front of the media, talking about talking about officiating and what the yeah, officiating, what the NFL needs to do. You do your job and handle your business. Let the officiating take care of itself. Okay. Let Roger Goodell and Riveron and all those and the owners let them worry about it. Okay. You can't control the officiating. You know what you can't control. Seven turnovers in the past two ball games and one touchdown pass. Repeat, not w- one. All right, one touchdown pass, seven turnovers, and in this ball game, three interceptions, and you were up twenty to eighteen at halftime. I do not want to hear it. Shut up. Put your head down. Stop talking. Stop worrying about what uh, what other people have to say. Quit worrying about the officiating. Don't worry about what Colin Coward has to say. No one cares, and nobody's interested. Okay, you you have outside of an Ashline Hasman Trophy, uh, uh, little uh, pride that you won back in uh, back in Oklahoma. You've done absolutely, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you've done absolutely nothing. Okay, you pissed down your you pissed down your leg in a Rose Bowl a few years ago against. Georgia, no national championship appearance and no national championship rank. I don't want to hear it. Shut the hell up. Put your head down. Get down to the nitty gritty. Get in the film room. Focus and evaluate yourself instead of worrying about evaluating the officiating, doing uh, Al Riveron's and Roger Goodell's work. How about you do your own work? Shut up. Put your head down. Evaluate Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, and work on how to get, and work on how to get you and your offense and your team in better shape going forward. Because now you're sitting at two and four. This season about to go is about to get washed down the sink so fast they'll make your freaking head spin. The Ravens won another football game. They're they are on top of the AFC North. And oh by the way, crazy things have happened. But and I don't think they're gonna do it to begin with. But the Steelers have won. But the Steelers are 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 sitting at two and four. That have a, that have more of an upside to their two and four than you guys do. They're sitting at two and four because they came because they came fresh out the gate playing the New England Patriots on the road in their banner raising ceremony. They lost they lost practically what was all left of their weapons on offense. Ben Roethlisberger blew out his elbow in the second game of the season, and you know, so their two and four is more understandable than their than your two and four. Steelers are two and four because they lost the best quarterback second game of the season. They get you know they they always lose to New England. And playing New England on the first game of the season on the road while they're raising their banner and Gronkowski and everybody else doesn't help matters. And and this is their and this is their first season without Le'Veon Bell and uh, Antonio Brown with uh, together on the field at the same time. This is the first year without them, without either of them, and whatever the case might be. So this is understandable. No, you know, no one's going to give you know it's going to give Pittsburgh a hard time. No, me included. No one's going to get Pittsburgh for a hard time for being two and four. You have the most, you have the most talented roster, most probably in the division, and one of the most talented and star-filled rosters in the AFC. And you guys are sitting at two and four because you because you can't stop turning over the football. 
Yet, yet you're all up in and all. Yet you're all up in the NFL's business talking about officiating and and a poor calls and this and left and right and everybody and the other. Baby, how about you shut up and quit turning over the damn football so much? Maybe the maybe the refs will 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 uh, clean up their officiating. How about that? My gosh, on every every I swear every single thing that comes out of this cocky you know what's mouth is is, is a freaking complaint. Talk about how a complaint or talk or a mention or or something about how things aren't going his way, and you know who I mean what I mean who does he think he is the Malcolm X the NFL? How about you shut up and play first? All all you do is this just just run your mouth a mile a minute. You just never shut up. Just shut up, put your head down, and do your damn work, and take care of business, and quit turning over the football so freaking much. And while you're at it, tell your head coach to lay off the hot dogs and the mug root beers, and and learn how to freaking play call on, and learn how to freaking play call for crying out loud. Cause all I ever heard about all off season about is was how you guys were the second coming to Otto Graham, Paul Brown, and the old Browns from the nineteen fifties. When it's clear as day that you guys are in a patch on those old Browns teams' ass, you've proved it. You aren't a pa- Baker Mayfield. You are not a patch on Otto Graham's ass. You are not a patch on Bernie Kosar's ass. Freddie Kittens, you are not a patch on. Paul Brown's ass. You guys stink. Baker, shut up. Worry about what you can control. Worrying, worry about not turning over the football seven times in the last two games and th- and throwing only one touchdown pass in both of the games. How about you worry about that rather than worrying about the NFL officiating? And maybe, just maybe, you might start winning some football games and start getting some respect because all you've done is run your mouth. Teams have taken notice and they've punched you square and your and your cocky, bearded, ugly. Uh, uh, White skinned, not that that makes any difference, but but your pale bearded, uh, cocky, ugly, freaking face. That's all you've done. You ran your mouth. You put a target on your back, like Shannon Sharp said. And teams have take notice of that. I punch you square in your cocky, trash talk filled mouth. That's all they've done. And you have nobody to blame but yourselves. Not your opponents and not the officiating. Look in the mirror, Baker Mayfield, because the reason why the Browns are 2-4 and four right now is because of you. You and your coaching. But right now, Baker, I'm talking to you. You are the reason why this team is 2-4 and four and has lost back-to-back games. You are that reason. You. Not the officiating, not Goodell, not Riveron, not nobody. You. Take responsibility and act like a man. And and not like a spoiled freaking child who you know gets in who gets into trouble every five seconds or gets D's and F's on his tests and blames it and blames it on the fact that the, that the uh, that the teacher's test may not have been as straightforward as he thought it was going to be, but the child knows good and freaking well that he's that he's a poor uh, that he's a poor test taker or did a poor piss poor job of studying, and rather than him t- uh, putting the blame on himself, he puts the blame on the fact well my pencil wasn't sharp enough or I wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom or uh, or, or or the teacher had had the AC on too high and I got cold cut the crap take responsibility for yourself quit blaming on everybody else back after this welcome back to my tell like a tis podcast 
quick get a quick little order of business recap uh, a few things in the NFL that happened in week six. Uh Giants lost to the Patriots. Brady passed Pete Mang second most all time in passing yards. Patriots, they've been they've been an ugly, uh undefeated team sitting right now sitting at six and all, but they are undefeated. Doesn't shock me there. Wouldn't surprise me if they went the whole sixteen and oh and and made it to another Super Bowl, which of course I predicted for them to go to another Super Bowl. Uh, Bengals lost to the Ravens. Uh, the most excited and the most intrigued I got was when they took back the opening kickoff. I cared less and tuned out right after that. I mean, we're tanking. We're on six. First time since 2008. We should go full on for the tank and lose every game. So we can, all we got to do is lose 10 more games and we get to it and kick Andy Dalton and ship everybody out of town, push Mike Brown off the nearest bridge, and and uh, and all is right in uh, Cincinnati for my beloved Bengals. Meanwhile, Ravens sitting at four and two, first place in the AFC North. Uh, Lamar Jackson ran wild, kind of like what he did against us last year. Shocker, but anyway, it's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm done talking about that. Can't win ball games when you turn over the football seven times. That's what the Buccaneers did in London as they lost to the Panthers 37 to 26. Buccaneers announcing at two and four. The Carolina Panthers sitting at four and two, sitting pretty uh, with, without Cam Newton, mind you, sitting pretty at top of uh, sharing space with the New Orleans Saints in the NFC South, who ever since Drew Brees essentially went out against the Rams. They they have they haven't they you know they've they haven't lost the game. Tay Bridgewater's won seven of his last eight road starts. They haven't lost the they haven't lost the game since since uh, the Ram game when Drew Brees got hurt. Uh, they've won every football game and all and all and primarily with a with a phenomenal defensive performance that their defense uh, put on, especially on Sunday, holding the Jaguars to just six points as they won the ball game uh, thirteen to six. The, give a little recap of the of the Saints' defensive performance. I mean, what a job Sean Payton and this defense has done. I mean, and they and and albeit you know they knew this. They was after the Ram game week two, the Ram, the Saints was like, all right, their defense pretty much has to play immaculate from you know from week three on on the road against the Seahawks till whenever Breeze gets back or whatever the case however long the case might be they their defense has to win ball games for them you know rather than the offense because the offense you know Teddy Bridgewater he's good but he's no Drew Breeze and the Saints can't outscore opponents their defense has to step up and and they gotta play better and the and the and this is a Saints team that. Has put. I mean, their their defense was a little spotty against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, but give credit to Tay Bridgewater and company as because they beat the Seahawks thirty three to twenty seven back on September the twenty second. But the defense has done a has done a great job. They held Dallas to ten points on this Sunday night game. They held the Buccaneers to twenty four points, which is yeah, it's all right, but. I mean, they turn it around, giving up six points to the Jaguars, and then they play the Bears. Uh, this week in week seven in Chicago, and that offense isn't exactly, uh, you know, all isn't going to win any or break any records, so to speak, either. So, and if the bear, and you know, and all the things had to do is keep the nose to the grindstone, because outside of outside of really playing the Panthers in week twelve, 
the 49ers in week 14. And when they got a, they got a pretty, they got a, a, the rest of the season is really very winnable games. They they really don't have a game that that pops out at you as 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 the uh, as as a uh, as, as a tough hard as nails. You know, it's going to be a good, good one of those uh, battles and matchup type football games. I mean, I mean, really the toughest, the toughest games that they that they are going to have this season that they've already played week two and three against the Rams and the Seahawks. The rest of the the rest of the schedule is, is has very winnable games. They play they play uh, the the Buccaneers and the Panthers and the Falcons. They, uh, you know, they got the 49ers, which, which will be a, you know, if the 49ers continue their hot start, they should, you know, they should give them trouble. But by the time they play the 49ers on on uh, December the 8th, Drew Brees should be back. But, you know, they they play the Cardinals, they play the Buccaneers, they play the, they, they, play, win, they play winnable football games. Very, very winnable football games. But a credit to Sean Payton and that Saints defense for absolutely stepping it up and playing top-notch ball while their uh, while their franchise court while their franchise quarterback who's in who's in the later stages of his career is out with the thumb injury. Uh, Deshaun Watson outdueled Patrick Mahomes. Again, this Chiefs defense, like I told you at the beginning of the season, I don't care if Patrick Mahomes throws for ten, you know, throws for five five hundred thousand yards in a season and throws for fifty touchdown passes. I don't care what he does as long as the Chiefs defense is is in the toilet, which it was against the Texans. They're not. They're not. They have a very low ceiling. They have a very low ceiling, and it and it and that ugly defense reared its ugly head again. They gave up thirty one points to Sean Watson and the Houston Texans, and excuse me, the Houston Texans. They're Sean Watson. He uh, he was thirty for forty two with two hundred and eighty yards and, and a and a touchdown, then a touchdown pass, and he ran for two touchdowns on ten carries, forty two. Of rushing yards and let Carlos Hyde go crazy with 26 carries, 116 rushing yards in the touchdown. So I mean, the the Chiefs defense they have to step it up if they want to challenge the New England Patriots in uh, January. Uh, Redskins won their first game of the season and their first game under interim head coach Bill Callahan, but they lost the Tank Bowl against the Miami Dolphins, 17 to 16. That's the Redskins' first win in Miami in franchise history. Previously, 0 and 5 when playing the Dolphins and the Sunshine State in South Beach. Uh, Eagles defense failed to show up against the Minnesota Vikings as as Kirk Cousins had one of those f- fluky, flunky, uh, unexpected uh, games that you know that I call I like to call them mirage games because every now and again you know broken clock is right twice a day where Kirk Cousins will play like an absolute stud one game and then the next game you'll question and ponder why he's an NFL starting quarterback. He was twenty two for twenty nine, three hundred and thirty three passing yards and four touchdowns, one interception. Eagles offense really struggled to get anything going. Granted the fact that Carson went through for over three hundred yards and two touchdowns. Running game was nowhere to be found. Jordan Howard thirteen carries forty nine yards. Receiving you know, it, that game really uh fell on the hands of the defense of allowing Kirk Cousins to essentially 
look like Warren Moon out there. A pathetic performance by the uh, Philadelphia Eagles defense. They play uh, the Cowboys on Sunday night, week seven. Swan Diggs, career high three touchdown uh, receptions in the ball game. On uh, Sunday, uh, let's see, forty. Uh, the Rams defense now they boosted it up with uh, gr- racking up Jalen Ramsey yesterday, uh, but their defense uh, has not been has not been that strong. Nor has their offense. Jared Goff, like I said, a little bit of an overrated uh, quarterback. They only managed to score seven points against the San Francisco 49ers that aren't exactly granted, even though they're 5-0. and They're not exactly the 94 version, uh, albeit they lost 20-7 to on uh, Sunday at home when the crowd was, when the Coliseum was absolutely overrun with uh, 49er fans. 49ers 5-0 for the first time since, uh, since 1990 when they went all the way to the NFC Championship game and lost to the New York Giants. Uh, Falcons won five for the first time in 2007. They lost 34-33 against the Cardinals on the road. Uh, Titans, uh, Titans are a quirky, inconsistent football team, 2-1-4. Uh, they switched quarterbacks. Marcus Mariota will not be starting for them this week. Instead, Ryan Tannehill will be. Let me make sure I have... Uh, do I have that right? Let me see. Let me see. I know for the Dolphins, Ryan Fitzpatrick is their starting quarterback. Uh, now over Josh Rosen. Let me make sure and fact check myself and make sure I am right. Yes, Tannehill will start over Mariota this week. Uh, shut out for the first time. Uh, since 2017 by the Denver Broncos. Uh, Steelers' offense came to play, as well as their defense, Phillip Rivers. I don't know what the heck's been going on with the Chargers, but they cannot win football games this year in 2019. They're right now 2-4. and four. They've lost five out of the six. Uh, last home primetime uh, ball games. Lions and Packers, uh, Packers 17-9 versus the Lions at home since 2000. Lions, Lions riding in on a four-game win streak against the, uh, against the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers things, 24 for 39, 283 yards, two touchdown passes. Jamal Williams had a night, 14 carries, 104 yards receiving, uh, but the main story in the ball game is is the is the ref ball that occurred with illegal hands to the face when the hands are at the shoulder pads where the hands are at the shoulders pass interferences that shouldn't have been called defenseless receiver you know personal foul penalty that shouldn't have been called because it was obviously he was going for the ball and not in, trying to initiate contact on a defenseless receiver. I mean, the rough ball in that game was so heinous and so egregious and so terrible that the NFL ought to be ashamed of himself. And and truth be and truth be told, it it was I mean, unless Roger Goodell and and the owners and the officiating uh, committee have a complete overhaul, it's not going to change. I mean, we saw it in the NFC Championship game, and and they and they th- and, you know, here's what it is with the officiating. The NFL has a gunshot wound 
with the officiating, but rather than them going through an operation and getting down to the nitty gritty on fixing it, instead they put a band-aid on it, which only made it worse, which is which is basically reviewing everything with the pass interference calls. I mean, the ref ball that has occurred in the National Football League, not just this year, but in seasons past, going going back to 2017 with the Jesse James scenario, and even back at the beginning of the decade in 2010 with the Calvin Johnson rule, the ref ball has been so horrendous for the league that it is an absolute utter disgrace and an abomination to the point where it practically ruins and taints the results of football games. I mean, I'm simply reading on Twitter, and every Detroit Lions fan known to man is is screaming at the top of their lungs about how they practically got jobbed and got uh and got hosed because because the because the officials had no idea what the heck they were doing. So I mean, I mean, how how do you fix it? I'm not exactly sure, but. It's, they gotta, but brighter and smarter minds than me gotta gotta come up gotta come up with a plan and an idea that has that has to uh, that has to put that that has to put this to a stop because this honestly is just getting ridiculous. I mean, it cost the team an NFC Championship game. The NFL isn't going to be satisfied until it costs the team a, a, a championship, and and them costing costing them a, a Super Bowl. I mean, they. I mean, they're not. I mean, they're not. They're not going to be satisfied unless, unless uh, that happens. I mean, I mean, I'm reading on Twitter. Lions fans all over the place screaming and yelling. I mean, NFL Network's the gorgeous, wonderful Cynthia Freeland. You know, she tweeted out, "Is this fun? Is this a fun watch for anyone?" I mean, because it really ruins the the authenticity and the legitimacy and just the fun, uh, unscripted outcome of the game. You know, it it ruin. Not only does it ruin it because you know because of the sport aspect, it also ruins the entertainment factor. Every five seconds, there's a flag on the field because the official either missed the call or misidentified or miss. I mean, a fit. You you guys have one job, all right? Get it together, please. I'm begging you, NFL Goodell, you too. Get Riveron out of there. Get and get ahead of a, of fishing for someone who actually gives a damn about their job and doesn't and doesn't you know and shouldn't have to take an embarrass. It shouldn't have. It shouldn't take for the league to be embarrassed on Monday Night Football or or embarrassed in a conference championship game for them to take action and and fix the officiating problem. Because I mean, it was so bad. You, I mean, it was like every five seconds, Booger McFarlane and Joe Tessitore were screaming about the officiating. It was a joke, and the NFL needs to fix it quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because because nothing on any, you know, and, and you can't just keep on covering up the bandage wound. You can't keep keep you can't keep covering up a gunshot wound with a bandage. Eventually, you eventually got to look in the mirror and uh, do some self evaluation. And and go th- and go through a sur- surgical period, because because this because this is just because this has gotten ridiculous. I mean, fix it. I don't I don't know what you have to do. Overhaul the whole officiating, whatever the case might be. But you have to fix it because it is atrocious, and the league isn't going to be satisfied till eventually it costs the team until eventually to cost the team a uh, Super Bowl championship. They're not going to be satisfied until that happens. But you hear the ending music, Justin Timberlake's suit and tie. 
And it's time for me to say goodbye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Amtelka TIS Podcast. Got an episode coming your way this weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. God bless. Love y'all. Subscribe. Rate if you're listening on iTunes. Share with your friends, family, and coworkers. I'm your boy, Josh Shields. Talk to you this weekend.